Welcome to the Innate Flow Podcast. My name is Nate Baumgartner, and you are tuned in to a vibration in the time-space continuum, communicating the wisdom and reflections direct from the mouths of authentic truth-seekers and spiritual warriors. Drop in with us as we uncover how we can begin healing our collective consciousness in a holistic and intuitive way, awakening the sleeping lions one breath at a time. So sit back, quiet the mind, and open the heart as we integrate the here and now. What's happening, friends? Before we get into this exciting episode with Ronnie Landis, I want to speak with you about something of incredible importance. We live in a time where there is much polarization and fracturing in the world, so much so that much of our society has internalized this energy, which has created symptoms of depression and anxiety and these other mind viruses, which is why the world needs you now more than ever. It needs your integrity, your empowerment, and your capacity to serve the world most fully with your gifts. And to do this, one of the most powerful allies that I have found in my healing journey has been psychedelic mushrooms. And I'm sure you've heard about microdosing, and I imagine some of you may not know where to start. And this is why I created the Plant Medicine Mastery Program, which is a six-month program in which you'll build a foundational relationship with plant medicine teachers in a safe and effective way, connecting you with this deeper truth of who you are and why you're here in this life. It will enable you to befriend the different parts of yourself and build a vision for your life within a supportive community environment. Combining the wisdom of mystery traditions with sacred healing practices, you will build a practical tool belt for living with intention and creativity, allowing you to shift from being stuck in this fight or flight response towards your own life to creating the dream version of it. So if this speaks to you, I invite you to reach out to me at innate.flow on Instagram to schedule a free discovery call and see if this program is a right fit for you. Sending love. Ronnie Landis is a leading expert in holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Ronnie combines customized self-mastery training, supplementation strategies, and a deep passion for helping others overcome long-held mental and emotional roadblocks so they can experience every area of their life at their fullest potential. Ronnie is also a public speaker teacher and author of multiple books and the host of the podcast Life Mastery with Ronnie Landis. And I met Ronnie at a coaching summit where I had the opportunity to participate in a workshop that he led. And trust me when I tell you that he is one of the most tapped in people I have ever met. So it is an honor to have him on the show today. Welcome to the Innate Flow podcast, Ronnie. Thanks, brother. Great to be here with you. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. And also great to meet you during uh, our our mutual friend Bledsoe's summit. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so much fun. And I would love to to get into your journey, your Mm -hmm. origin story and your telling of that initial hero's journey that you went Mm -hmm. through that Mm -hmm. brought you to the path you're on today. Yeah, man. Um, Okay. Well, it's like, (laughs) I was, it's, I'm just laughing because before I got on here, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to tell this story again. It's like (laughs) after 50 or 60 times, you know, it's like, 
it feels kind of redundant, but at the same time, I realize that a lot of people don't know who I am or don't know the story. And every time I tell it, it's always a little bit brand new. So is, is there one story within your mm -hmm. childhood that yeah. you do not tell frequently that mm -hmm. is, is a good example of the, the experience that you had that, um, that would be novel both for you to tell and for people to hear. Yeah, um, I, I don't know anything that I haven't told per se, but let's see if I tell it a little bit differently. I, I think huh. the the best thing that I can kind of synthesize in my hero's journey and my upbringing is that I was raised in martial arts since the age of four. And I was just really steeped in the Eastern culture of you know, a little bit of Taoism, Shintoism, Buddh um, uh, a little bit of Buddhism, like th these were things that I was really conscious of, like as particular like paths or spiritual sects like that I followed, but they were in my, my, my environment, um, as far as being raised in martial arts, being raised in more of an Asia, Asianic Eastern culture, um, Chinese, Japanese and Korean kind of environments. And, um, you know, arts. So that that was my upbringing in martial arts and my passion, my all, all encompassing passion growing up and also being a high performance athlete, both in basketball and Taekwondo and various other martial arts. And, you know, just just a long story made a little bit shorter. I was pursuing an Olympic career from the age of 16 all the way into 23, I think. And um, I was competing full time and I was also teaching full time as the head instructor of a really successful martial arts school. I had about 500 students under my guidance um, from the ages of three and a half all the way to 60. And I was 18 to 23 as a head instructor. So basically what that means is I was gifted a monumental responsibility at a very young age, but I also was kind of given the template of of maturing and becoming an adult at a very young age, or at least what we think of as the young age in our, our kind of culture, um, where we're a little bit retarded. And I don't mean that derogatory. I mean that developmentally, whereas prior generations at 17, 18 and 19 would have been fully developed adults. It's, you know, now and nowadays when you're like 30, maybe 35, you start to kind of like, kind of feel that sense of being an adult and, and having those responsibilities. And one of the reasons I see for that is that we lack any sort of initiation right. into adulthood. We lack that, um, that bridge to cross into adulthood. So there's all of these amorphous things that could potentially be some sort of initiation, like going off to college, graduating high school, having something like that, that aren't true tests of the will you know, especially as as men, having that test of the will is incredibly important to go through that hardship and really be accepted into manhood. And I imagine that there was an aspect of that. And actually, I don't even need to imagine because I myself was in um, Taekwondo at a, at a young age as well, though I didn't pursue it for a very long time, um, for only about three or four years. I did, however, find in that experience having the the test of you know your will against someone else's mm -hmm. in, in that way of honoring them while also being in combat with them brings out a deep aspect of self-knowledge yeah what was your experience of that in finding yourself 
through this martial arts practice. Yeah, I mean, that's that's right on, of course. And that's one of the biggest plights and issues in our, our society and, and um, kind of the social engineering and the domestication of our, our you know culture at large. But for me, there, there were many, many milestone moments in my developmental process. There were many moments of initiation, many moments where I was tested to my edges, physically, psychologically, spiritually. Um, you know, I'm thinking about my first black belt test. I have a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. And my first degree black belt test was an extraordinary initiation. Um, because our, we, we didn't really have the watered down Americanized Taekwondo school. We had a very a very traditional kind of rigorous training and and testing process. So the my black belt test was it was kind of like militarized in a way, um, like very traditional Korean style. And it was a, it was extremely um, challenging, the most physically challenging thing I've ever been put through. And I also was in a position of being being like uh, becoming a head instructor so I was one of the one of the few black belt instructors in training. And also there were many younger students of mine that were being initiated as, you know, teens and preteen black belts. So it wasn't just that I was going through my my testing. I also had to hold a particular frame, a particular example for the other students as I'm going through the most testing initiation of my life at the same time so it was it was a little bit of an added uh pressure to to you know will myself through it and i did um and that was about a 48 hour test straight 48 hours straight um and i won't go into like all the ins and outs of it it was pretty in-depth we could do an entire podcast on that but you know so uh, just suffice to say that there were many different moments where I was put through very deep initiations. One of the most prominent ones that led me into the holistic health field was when I was 18, I had my first knee injury. And then it, that resulted in my first knee surgery. And that was a major initiation because I, I, I've had broken toes and fingers and noses and dislocated other things. And, and you, know, um, you know, a lot of different injuries, but nothing ever really sidelined me. Nothing fully stopped me or immobilized me from training. And, and at that time, physical training was my outlet. It was what I poured all my energy into. And it was also what I, it was the symbol of my quote unquote freedom or my dreams, you know, to make it to a particular point that was reliant on my physical body and being able to perform. And that was also my emotional outlet for everything I was going through in my personal life. So when that was taken from me, I had to go through a, a really powerful process of not only like quote unquote surrendering, like to accepting what is, but I also had to fight for my dream. Because I came out of the, the surgery and I had to learn about rehabilitation and corrective exercise. And I had to do the opposite of what I did, which was very young. Like I was, I was very young focused, like pushing, pushing, pushing. I had to learn how to train myself from an inside out process. I had to learn how to slow down, but not give up on my dream just because I was you know, just because I had an injury or surgery, I had to push through it. But I also had to be incredibly patient with myself, which was, I think, something that I wasn't necessarily adapted to before. 
Um, and through that process, I got to develop my mind more. I got deeper into philosophy. I got deeper into reading more philosophy and spiritual manuals and martial arts um, books and, and things of that nature versus just being in it all the time. And then that also helped groom me into an instructor instead of just being so focused on the competition aspect. And it helped me mature and integrate the mental and physical aspect. And then over the course of a year and a half, I finally recovered and was able to start training again and competing. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole story there, but eventually a number of years later, I ended up transitioning from that life and then going into the holistic health field because I just got very interested in the healing arts, you know, because I, I went through this process and then I just naturally became more interested in sports performance from a from a holistic health perspective. What, you know, getting more into like organic foods and, and supplementing my body and these kind of things, you know, just learning about how to how to supplement my body for performative reasons. But then eventually I started to learn about, you know, the healing arts and getting into herbalism and getting into, um, you know, getting into natural nutrition and, and all these different things. And then eventually I had a spiritual awakening through getting into a raw food diet and getting into cleansing and detoxing and completely stripping out all the processed foods at that time, the animal foods and just really cleaning my body out. And I had a I had a consciousness awakening and I started getting really deep into nature. I got I started getting I read a book called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, which is all about barefoot running and getting back into nature. And so I started doing that. And so piece by piece, I started getting reconnected with nature, which started to connect me to my natural self outside of like my my ego and my identity and being an athlete and all these different things it kind of just started stripping away and then i i had the inspiration that i wanted to transfer all of this raw energy over into becoming a motivational speaker and an author and a nutritionist and like a motivational health like advocate and then it just kind of like it just shifted and then i just shifted all that energy over to that and then that was about 12 or 13 years ago. And then that started my path, you know, that way. When in your, in your describing of it, was that spiritual awakening a subtle thing that you then became aware of? Okay. So it was, it was something that happened progressively was, as you, yeah. It, it was a, prog a progressive thing that happened over the course of years. But then it, you know, I'm just digressing a little bit because there is a lot of backstory I could go into. Um, but I know, I know there's a lot of other things, more interesting things that we want to get into, but, but, you know, just kind of piecing that together. I actually worked in a hospital in the emergency room in summit hospital in Oakland, California for three years. So that was kind of the in-between in my journey from the martial arts and the athletic side to working in a hospital to supplement my then athletic dreams because I wasn't teaching anymore. And then, so this is just kind of God putting me in these particular positions, these synchronistic moments that, you know, I didn't really understand at the time. I didn't have the context of where my life was going. I thought it was going one way, but it ultimately was planting a seed to go in another. And so I was working in the emergency room doing HIV testing. 
And so, so I'm slowly starting to, my perspective is starting to like pick up on all these different things within the hospital environment. I'm seeing the drug reps go into these meetings that I'm also in with the, so there's these pharmaceutical meetings for HIV testing, like the, uh, the HIV ward. So they're, they're pitching these prescription medications, these pharmaceuticals. And I didn't really care that much at the time, but I'm just picking up on all this stuff. And then eventually what ended up happening two years into that, I got into the raw food diet. That's when, boom, something awoke in me. And I started going deep down the rabbit hole of like the the allopathic medical model, all the corruption that goes on with that, the pharmaceutical cartels, the genetic modification of our food supply, big agriculture. I got into like, you know, political corruption. Like it all just started like boom, 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 boom. You know, I got into the the vegan thing at the time. And one of the interesting things I'll, I'll say about the vegan, particularly the raw vegan, you know, kind of rabbit hole. One thing that it does do is it it is a fast track towards awakening to what's going on in in the 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 health world if you the health management world the pharmaceutical world the the you know the the you know all the things that i just mentioned it kind of opens up pandora's box and that's what happened to me so i'm just like becoming fully exposed to all this while i'm also working in the er room so now i'm watching what's happening with the doctors and the patients and the nurses and where they're getting their food from from the vending machines from the the walking in on the cafeteria and seeing all these nurses and doctors eating fried chicken and cupcakes and and brownies and god knows whatever else they were doing and that so it just it's that was that was the first like like big awakening and then eventually I ended up leaving that that whole environment. Um, and then basically just to, just to kind of synthesize this, the biggest awakening that shifted me was that I started to realize that everybody is in pain and they don't even know it. Everybody is in some form of pain, whether it's physical, psychological, emotional, or spiritual and they're either just numbing it, sedating it, tranquilizing it, suppressing it, trying to push it away. And they've habituated to it. They've normalized to it so much that it's actually become part of their normal reality. And they don't realize that they're actually suffering. And that was an awakening for me because I had been struggling with my knee issues and I was icing my knees every day. I was doing all these things. And within 30 days of cleansing and detoxing and getting back into a natural eating habit, getting into nature, I completely healed my knees in 30 days. So when I, when I actually realized that that happened, that I was completely out of pain, that's when I realized like, whoa, everybody is in some form of pain and they don't even know it. What I'm hearing in that is the, the principle of correspondence in hermetics mm-hmm. um where the as above so below the the below of you healing yourself opened you up to seeing all of the different glitches in the matrix yeah, yeah. and feeling called to 
support the the shift away from that how has that manifested in your life as you have built your practice in really grounding into doing the work that you do with the dopamine reset doing the work that you do um with you know supporting people in healing addiction because Mm -hmm. we we think about addiction as this this thing we see like homeless people on the street and addiction is so much more subtle in how we interact with our environment. And I would love to hear um, about your take on addiction. Yeah, I mean, that's a great segue to jump into. And and so the addiction thing didn't really become a more pronounced part of my message until about two years ago, two and a half years ago. So before that, most of my message was focused on natural foods, superfoods, herbalism, detoxing, cleansing, like really more of a food-based, you know, holistic health perspective. Then, you know, eventually it integrated parts of like emotional intelligence and personal development, transformational principles, how to develop yourself as a fully embodied human being, but using health as the vehicle to do that, focusing on health first, because that's, that's the biggest issue. We have to, we have to deal with what's happening in our body and there's a mind body connection, you know, we have to heal the the gut and, you know, all these, all these more, more holistic health principles. And then as I went through my personal journey and getting into plant medicines, um, particularly in 2015, and um, really going, going into more of the trauma based, you know, literature, but also going into my own personal experiences and working with people on these deeper levels, I started to integrate more of what we would call the shadow aspects of transformational development. And I started to go through my own process with that as well. And so long story short, all these things started integrating into like the template of my messaging. And then in 2020, the addiction thing really became more of a focus for me because I also was, was dealing with my own coping mechanisms. So to me, what an addiction is, is it's an attempt to solve a problem using a coping mechanism. And the mechanism is what we would normally think of as an addiction. So like alcohol, cigarettes, um, cannabis, sugar, processed food, pornography, masturbation, sex, social media, um, Netflix, entertainment, you know, social, you know, I mentioned that, like, oh, whatever, all the things, right, the mechanisms, those are just coping strategies to numb, sedate, medicate, or tranquilize the actual, the actual issue that's going on underneath the hood of the operating system, the human being themselves, the trauma, right, it's usually rooted in some form of trauma, um, which is a deep subject. And so what, what ended up happening for me is I started to realize that I started to develop coping mechanisms to manage my own stress because I was going through a lot of stress. Like all of us were in 2020, I was like on the front lines of the digital battlefield when it came to like everything that was starting to unearth in the, the world, whether it's socio-politically, whether it was, um, you know, just the the battle between light and dark, all the the social engineering, all the agendas that were manifesting and being pushed in all of our face, the pressure of 2020. Like I was, I was right there on the front lines of it, and so with that was a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, and also like a, a strong existential pressure. 
you know, there was a lot that I was dealing with. And so I, I, re I, I relied on certain things like whether it was like tobacco, I developed a pretty, a pretty chronic tobacco habit, um, all organic tobacco, but you know, doesn't at that point it didn't even really matter. Um, it became an addiction, um, coffee on and off, uh, social media for sure. Just constantly like on this thing all the time, things like that. And I just realized that my brain wasn't functioning optimally. I wasn't getting the best sleep. I was up and down emotionally. Just I, I wasn't managing very well and it was weighing on me. And so I realized that I had a problem. And I started I started going deep into the literature on dopamine and dopamine fasting and the effects of dopamine um, in these different addiction um, mechanisms and how that affects dopamine and, and really how important dopamine is to all aspects of the human experience. And so I started going deep down that rabbit hole and I started implementing some of the literature and information. And then I just started to develop my own dopamine reset and recovery program based on my my knowledge as a holistic health practitioner. And as a nutritionist, I started to develop a more sophisticated approach to re uh, rebuilding the dopamine system. And then I had the insight to start writing a book on addiction, which is now my book, The Addiction-Free Lifestyle. And so that that's kind of how the whole thing manifested for me as far as starting to become an advocate and a speaker around addiction. And within that you first healed yourself you first came into the process of your own awareness of digging into your own shadow which i imagine at you know march of 2020 everyone was feeling a lot of the collective shadow yeah. coming up and different people dealt with it differently that's right and the ones with the tools that had you know picked up the tools before that to really go inward and look at themselves from a radically honest place of self-ownership and self-awareness, I have seen were the ones who were able to move through all of the, the mass of information coming at them and really sift through and find clarity. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering in being someone who is, you know, so tapped into the that deeper awareness what was your process for picking apart that mm -hmm. um the pain of the collective from your own individual pain and really working to define the truth within mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. of the the bombarding mm -hmm. messages and social pressure and you know push for for control that we all felt broadly across the world yeah, that, I mean, that's an incredible question. And I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, in simple terms, you know, it, there's a few there's a few very important, you know, principles. The first thing that you mentioned was like radical self-honesty and self-awareness. Now, what's important about that is that that didn't necessarily solve the issue. I have right. I have incredible self-awareness and self-honesty about it. And I was also self-aware that I was smoking tobacco, even though I said that I wasn't going to do it today. Mm -hmm. So that's like level one, right? There's levels to this, this game of self-actualization, right? And then and addiction is a sneaky thing, especially 
I think for me in particular, because I was being called to go deep into the recesses of this particular dragon, you know, because uh, like the book had to be birthed through me. It wasn't, it's not based on theory. You know, it's, there's incredible scientific information and research, but so much of it was birthed through my experiential um uh somatic experience and just what i know to be fundamentally true because it, i went through it and then i started to see oh this is actually what people go through this is actually the process that people go through um in their own unique experience so for me that that was step one and then i had to deal with the shame of it i had to deal with the guilt of it because i'm also an educator i'm also a public figure i'm also you know, like I have an influence or an impact. And so there was an interesting dynamic that I was dancing with myself where I could be totally authentic and, and real and, and impactful about the message that I'm speaking and feel congruent in it. And at the same time, still be working through my own issues, meaning that I wasn't necessarily this perfect person that had worked through all his stuff, but I could speak the truth about it while also still having to use that as a mirror back to myself. And I had to deal with the, the, the guilt and the shame that would come up inside of me, which was ultimately was the deeper work because underneath the, the, you know, the physiological and the, you know, neurochemical side of the, you know, what we call the dopamine reset or the addiction recovery process there was a deeper process going on with within me where I was I was digging up every single thing within me that I could. And I would also say that was also a little bit of an addiction. And, and a lot of us have a tendency almost masochistically to dig into our trauma, to dig into our wounds and our pain body. And there is a fine line. Right. Because if you're always looking for trauma, if you're always looking for something to dig up, you'll always find what you're looking for. So I think the next step for me was actually distincting between that of realizing like, you know, this thing is infinite. Like I could keep going down the rabbit hole of this and I could keep churning things up. But at some point, I have to declare that I'm healed, whole and complete. And it's time to actually integrate this and embody this higher, this higher version of myself and move forward with, with my mission and with my life. Well, for me, the, the addiction to digging into trauma is really the addiction to feeling like a victim as a result of sure, it. Sure. Sure. Which is the, the essence of disempowerment. And when we really come to see the, our trauma as, the things that were imprinted on us at an early age, even if, if we had an amazing childhood, we still experienced at one point or another a withholding of love or some sort of lack of having a need and having it not be met. And so then there are the, the big T traumas, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, sexual abuse that you know some people have encountered. And so within that, it's looking at that core wound yeah. at least as i have experienced 100%. it and bringing yeah. compassion to that to that fact and really allowing like you said that you are whole complete and loved and are in essence god you are god incarnate and here on this world to 
to spread your gifts from a place of grace and compassion towards these different wounds that that you have. Well, you know, it, it's great that you you share all that. And a big part for me, too, was my relationship with God, with capital G-O-D, how I experienced God, the Father, and um, that relationship. And I, I just kept coming back to a place of that God doesn't actually is not judging me like like my father my proverbial father as i archetypally you know as i as i relate to that energy he it does not actually judge me i'm the one who's actually judging me i'm the one who's putting myself in purgatory and that's the journey that i'm 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 subconsciously putting myself through to heal whatever that particular wound is because I'm doing this to myself. And that's the thing with addiction is that we dig our, we dig a ditch and we either can, we can either go through the abstinence process and go beyond the present moment, feel the discomfort, sit with it, you know, allow the, the delayed gratification process to develop us and strengthen us or we can succumb to the temptation of changing our state in the moment just to feel better and dig another and dig another and dig it again until a few days later and next week or a month later, our ditch is twice as deep. And then it's like the dopamine thing comes in because dopamine controls motivation. So then we can get ourselves in a place where we get motivated to climb out of the ditch. So it gives us this little motivational boost but we can get into a place where we're actually we're digging a ditch just to climb out, just to feel the accomplishment or the perceived accomplishment of needing something to keep to keep climbing out of. And I think for me, it, it really got to a place where <clears throat> I just accepted myself. It didn't matter mm -hmm. whether if I'm smoking tobacco or if I do this or I do that, it doesn't actually matter because that's not even really the issue. The issue is that there's, there's a part of me that I'm struggling to love and accept. Right. And so once I just realized that it's actually all this, all these things outside of me are just their strategies that I'm using to get something out of. And if I can come into right relationship with those things, <clears throat> and then I can just choose in any given moment what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, and let that be that, then eventually these things actually lost their hold. I, I started to become disinterested in smoking tobacco. I became disinterested in, in the, the mucus and the phlegm that would come up in my lungs, right? I, I became disinterested in these other experiences and I started to redirect my energy back into the things that actually made me feel good. And in that, I, I hear that you're seeing the, the stimulus and then your response to that stimulus oh. and acting with awareness in the moment. If you're familiar with um, Stephen Kessler, he has this book, The Five Personality Patterns. And he talks about in different ways through, you know, between zero and seven, um, the ways that we are wounded um, and the things that we learn from our parents and take on from them are ultimately how we end up coping with our stress in yeah. these different ways. And when we bring ourselves back to presence, we're either in pattern or we are in presence. And when we come back 
to presence, we're able to see how, like you're saying, we are, hell isn't a metaphysical place. Hell is what we create here on earth as a result of the impacts of our numbing, tranquilizing behaviors. I've been been saying this for years, that heaven and hell is not some place out there. Heaven and hell is right here, right now. Like you can make a you can make a hell out of a heaven or a heaven out of a hell, and it's right here, right now. And by the way, this was a major, <clears throat> a major spiritual um, insight through my own awakening through 2020, where I realized that oh wait, we actually are living in hell. When we actually understand what's really been going on on this planet and underneath the ground and all the different things that are called conspiracy theories, which are now fully proven and fully mapped out um, full-blown, provable, documented realities. Um, it, 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 I was like, we, we are living in hell. Like this actually is, it's not, it's not some metaphysical dimension over there. This is actually the, the trial by fire arena that we're in right now and as spiritual beings and these physical experiences as potential earth angels or avatars that are have been incarnated into these physical you know bodies that are going through this awakening or remembering process this reactivation process that we're all going through it made perfect sense to me. Like it all kind of connected in in all these pieces that I'd studied from different theological perspectives and Christian mysticism and allegories and actually brought me back to the, the wisdom of Christianity, like, you know, not the corrupted Vaticanized, you know, Catholic church or any of that, but like the real teachings of it, it brought me right back to it. And I was like, Oh man, okay, whoa, hold on. We're, we're actually, we're smack middle in in this whole prophetic, biblical, you know, uh, metaphysical thing going on right now. And what what's just interesting, and why is probably even this coming out of my mouth right now? What's interesting for me is I realized the biggest initiatory process that any of us have to go through is actually is actually the addiction route. We actually have to heal and overcome and transcend our addictive attachments because it does appear to me that that is the thing that is our test like the bodhisattva mm. test like the the you know the siddhartha path siddhartha going through his initiatory aesthetic process to becoming the buddha to becoming the bodhisattva ultimately his entire journey was about overcoming and transcending addiction altogether and so I, I kind of just really got that on that deeper spiritual level. And that that was a that was like a big, you know, awakening. I believe when when we come into the awareness that all of these different things are happening in the world and that all of the the puppet strings are being pulled by the powers that be in these different levels, that's why it's so important to have a spiritual practice, because without that, it can feel very disempowering. It can feel like, well, all of this is true now. All of the blinds have been pulled back. And now what What am I able to impact in that? Yeah, even deeper than that, it, it unavoidably will disorientate your entire frame of reality. Yeah. Like your entire framework, your psychological paradigmical structure 
that your ego identity is is structured as a way to interface and navigate this realm, this reality, and to create safety, stability, and structure is now flipped upside down and it disorientates you. So there's there's this process that we all go through where we start to become destabilized and our autonomic nervous system now goes through this like this shaking process, this this fragmentation process. And it's really, really critical, as you're pointing out, you need to have rituals and practices that anchor you and ground you so you can reorient your psyche and your nervous system to create stability for yourself as you're going through whatever processing you're going through. And this is also, this is the integration process of any kind of psychedelic or entheogenic experience, right? Going through a really powerful series of ayahuasca journeys. It's, it's basically, it's that, you know, it's, it's the integration process. And uh, th there's a lot that I could say about that, but that, that was the point that I wanted to make from what you just said. And that's, that's ultimately what I had to go through too, is that I realized why I was having such a challenge, why most people are so challenged right now is because their entire paradigm is being completely shaken and, and broken apart. And that is the thing that we actually we actually need to restructure that. We need a framework. This is why religion actually, when done correctly, religion actually is an important template. Um, without going down the religion you know, rabbit hole, the idea of a religion or, or, you know, Christianity or whatever these, these things are, the reason why they have stood the test of time is because they create a frame, a spiritual orientation that people can rest in, whether it's right or wrong or any of that's a different issue, but it gives people an orientation that they can, they can ground into without that, when that's completely removed, you're kind of just floating around, you know, like the, the whole new age thing. It's like hopscotching from what this concept and this idea and this thing and that thing. And people get so lost and, and, and so, um, you know, so mystified, they lose sense of reality and they, people can go on for years and years without ever, ever grounding back into, you know, their, the, uh, like a reliable, reality and it can be challenging to piece together all of the these metaphysical concepts without religion which is why in my experience of plant medicine they have been so powerful is because they give me that direct experience with these different aspects of god of the metaphysical and of my soul in relationship with that you know unity um what I know you've had some recent ayahuasca experiences. What has been your process of using plant medicines for diving into your shadow, bringing yourself into a new awareness of the world and beyond? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I originally got into experimenting with psychedelics, I think, back in 2000. 12, I got really deep into Terrence McKenna. I probably listened to hundreds of hours of Terrence McKenna lectures and some of the classic lectures with him and Rupert Sheldrake 
and and just these old school like recordings that they did like way back in the 80s just these classic classic things and i got i got really deep into it and that led me into the psilocybin um experimentations and i i had some actually pretty like gnarly experiences with psilocybin originally um just through like chocolate edibles and things of this nature i didn't really know what to expect i just heard all these different experiences and um, it, it churned up a lot of things inside of me that I either wasn't ready to deal with or just didn't even expect. I just didn't know that this was going to happen. So I, I had a few of those experiences. I started to back off of it for a while. A number of years later, I had my first ayahuasca experience in Hawaii in 2015. And that was the most profound thing I had ever experienced in my life up to that point, just like the most opportune synchronistic um, sitting between me and three close uh, friends. And I mean, that experience completely transformed the inner landscape. And it also proved to me the quantum reality of a lot of the quantum physics ideas that I've been studying. It actually revealed it to me, like completely showed me the reality of the unified field theory, the morphogenic field theory that Rupert Sheldrake pointed out, it showed me the physicality of it. And it also, it also transformed something within me where I got to experience what it physically felt in my nervous system to be what I felt like. This must be what a demigod feels like. This must be what like Hercules would feel like or something like the raw power that I feel inside of me, like this integration that I feel that, that that must be what it is. It just felt like a total knowing, like I had just become fully integrated with my avatar. Obviously that particular experience didn't last forever, but, but I remember it as clear as day. And I've had many other experiences like that, particularly with ayahuasca, but also with other, other um, entheogens as well. So that, that kind of opened up the door. And then over the next couple of years, it would just be kind of these one-off, you know, mushroom experiences or whatever. Then in 2020 is when the psychedelic rabbit hole for me really opened up again, particularly through MDMA. Um, I, I had never done MDMA actually before that, believe it or not. It just wasn't something that was in my awareness. I, I think it was like, it just wasn't something I was even interested in. Just It was synthetic. I just... Same thing with LSD. I just didn't really have any interest towards it. Um, but when I did my first MDMA journey with my prior partner at the time, it was such a profound experience. Like, like, wow, like unbelievably profound. We're just talking for 24 hours straight, just processing just the deepest, like empathic connection, heart opening connection I'd ever experienced with anybody. And it actually transformed our relationship dynamic at the time. So that opened up a particular like window there. And then over the course of 2020, I started to go deeper into these MDMA assisted experiences. And I actually started to use MDMA sometimes with psilocybin as a way to accelerate my decoding process. Like I would literally go so deep down the rabbit hole while also being in a psychedelic st state. So I would be like, I would, you talk about decoding the matrix. I was peeling back what felt like, like layers of film, 
like of this reality, whether it was like I was going down the, the Hollywood rabbit hole. So you're talking and about so stacking MDMA and psilocybin within one yeah. experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, but I'd also be going down these, these deep like information rabbit holes at right. the same time. And so I'm literally like, I'm, I'm unraveling the, the layers, the holographic layers of reality of this culture, society, the indoctrination and seeing how layered this whole thing really is and just peeling these things back, um, which, which takes a certain fortitude. It, it takes a certain psychological fortitude that I think I was just called to go into. I wouldn't recommend anybody going to this. I would not prescribe this. It's, it's a certain type of person that's called into these type of experiences. I was called into it and I, and I went through it. And I also, I also learned the edge. I learned, okay, now I need to actually <clears throat> stop. I need to stop doing this for a while because now the, the, the distinction between my reality and the reality and, and, you know, what's, what's really real, that all is, is getting a little fuzzy. So now I have to like step back a little bit and integrate these things together. And so, um, you know, I, I could go deeper, but that's kind of how, that's kind of how it started to open up. What was your process for grounding all of that decoding oh, yeah. back okay. into this, the physical space that this reality that we find ourselves in yeah okay this is this is great because this is the next phase of my like psychedelic um journey my my more shaman i would just say my shamanic initiatory journey because now i realize that's actually what i was being called to go deeper into is an initiatory shamanic process so what ended up happening was so this is what I'm explaining was all of 2020. And then in 2021, I I went through a relationship, um, you know, decoupling, went through that process. And then I was, but I was still like, I was still stuck in like, you know, what's going on in the world while also trying to like, kind of get out of it. But I couldn't, it just, I just couldn't, I couldn't fully, um, break away from it i just kept getting sucked into that narrative and the conversation what ended up happening was that i was invited to go to mexico for a private ayahuasca uh retreat like a week-long ayahuasca retreat and i just felt deeply called to it i needed something i needed like i i just knew that i needed something like that to to shift so i went into this experience and it it was the most profound week of my life. Like these ayahuasca journeys were so incredibly profound. And what ended up happening is that the ayahuasca, the spirit of ayahuasca started to work with me at the psychological level, the physical level, and also the level of my soul. It started to really bring this deeper this deeper quality of my soul to the forefront where I could engage dialogue dialogue and have a dialectic with my soul, with my higher self, however you want to think about that. And so through that process and these experiences, it actually helped. Um, it helped heal something in me where after I came out of that experience I, I no longer felt that I needed to continue going down rabbit holes. 
I never, I no longer, I no longer have the interest in it. I, 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 I had the full knowledge, like the experience actually confirmed the truth of everything that I was going into. So it like kind of integrated it together. And then once I came out of it, I was complete. Like I was like, I, I, from there on, I just moved on. I remember during the workshop that you led at the summit, one of the things you said was, you know, I'm a huge proponent for using psychedelics for healing and reality is the greatest psychedelic. Yeah, totally. What is your understanding of that at present as it applies to your life? Well, what comes up for me is that this reality is way stranger than we realize. This this reality is way more magical, metaphysical, mystical, shamanic, all the all the key words that we would think about in a psychedelic experience. This actual reality itself is a medicine journey. Like we have been in an involuntary ayahuasca journey for the last two and a half years. Like, you know, that that is the context that me and a lot of my contemporaries and friends all kind of agree upon that that's what this reality actually is. And it, it's, it's interesting because with having so much experience with psychedelics and entheogens and ceremonies, that, uh, that changes your brain chemistry. It changes the perceptual filters that you're navigating, experiencing the 3D realm. So that is forever changed for me. Um, and as I've integrated that, I'm I'm more awake and more present to the magic of this realm. And what I think is really important to share with people about that, and even to remind myself, is that we live in a vibrational realm, for sure. Now, in the normal three-dimensional, you know, five-sense-based reality, there's a lag time between our thought, emotion actions the manifestation or the the cause and effect of something so we don't necessarily see see the effect of our energy or phenomenon that happens in our life as the gap becomes <clears throat> becomes um collapses you're able to see the effect of your energy for example i'm in bali indonesia one of the things that I became very present to while being here, because it's it's a different reality here. There's a different energetic template. It's things happen much quicker. And so I've had multiple days where my energy was down. I, I was in a negative spiral, not the greatest attitude. And, I, you know, so I'm noticing the energy is getting more finicky as the day progresses. And so things are starting to happen. Like, it's almost like, like reality is kind of starting to get it's starting to shuffle it's starting to get unstable a little bit and then i'm like oof i had to pull myself back sit down breathe and readjust my attitude and then all of a sudden it started to stabilize it started to get better it started to just based on my emotional set point based on my my mind where my mind is going and so I think that's one of the things that's happening right now for a lot of us, those of us who are aware of this, is that the, the gap between thought, word, emotion, and deed, or the result of all that, is getting thinner. We're realizing that this reality is 
is much more temporal. It's much more malleable than maybe it felt like before, because we're maybe we're less dense. Maybe we've cleansed and detoxed a lot of the, the density or the negativity or the toxicity from our system. So we're able to experience the subtle energies of this, this reality a lot more. And that can be very painful if somebody doesn't have the right attitude, if they, if they're still in a victim consciousness everything's happening to me i'm at the effect of life i'm you know why do things keep happening well it's because you're now more you're now just becoming more present to what's been happening but it's just happening quicker so it just means that okay i actually have to readjust quicker i have to pivot quicker if i want things to shift with the the new level of awareness comes a new level of responsibility for how you show up in the world that that's it that's it and that's that is the word right that is the word responsibility our ability to respond to our external environment and see that shift coming back to the hermeticism all is mind and like you're saying, the more we clear that, the more we become aware of what we're addicted to and heal what's beneath that, yep. the more the, the, the veil becomes thinner between, you know, the, the vibration that we put out and the vibration that's reflected back into us in, in real time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, that's, that's why I think the psychedelic or entheogenic experience is so central to the developmental process of the human being at this time you know the word psychedelic really translates into mind manifest that's 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 a loose mostly literal translation of what a psychedelic experience means it shows you what's going on up here like you know, we, there's a lot of spiritual interpretations of like what ayahuasca is. I personally believe that the actual spirit of ayahuasca is the personification or the 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 you can embodiment, but you know, like the 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 non physical embodiment of the spirit of Mother Earth. Like what what mm -hmm. who Mother Earth must be is actually encoded in that plant or that combination of plants. That's my experience yeah. of it, right? Um, so there's all that, but it's also what it's doing is it's revealing your subconscious to you. It's showing you what's actually going on back there. And so it's like, yeah, mind manifest. These things can show you how, how your mind can manifest, what your mind has been manifesting, right? And that might be the dark night of the soul, those, those those more darker challenging experiences that we go through is just showing us, Hey, like this is either what it, where it could go. If you don't course correct, if you don't get your act together, or this is actually what's really going on in the back in the recess of your mind. And, and if you don't get a handle on it, then you know that this is, this is also where it could go in your physical reality. Um, one thing, uh, one last thing I want to say about it too. I just want to get this part out there for anyone that may may not realize this. The word entheogen, and I like the. By the way, I like the word entheogen the most. To me, it feels the most like like true. Same here. Yeah. Um, and meaning endogenous from within. Theo theology theologian the the study or the student of 
quote unquote religion, but spirituality, the pursuit of God, right? To generate from within God or the divine. That's what entheogens essentially mean. And that's the initiatory process of the psychedelic experience. Am I saying that psychedelics or entheogens are for everyone? Of course not. It's something that you have to be called to. There's a whole lot of, I'm sure you talk a lot about practices, protocols, set and settings, you know, going to a trusted guide, all those things, you know, that's, you know, it's just kind of obvious. Um, I, I like to speak to the, the, the sacredness and the significance of these experiences and the responsibility, but also the accessibility of having access to these experiences as we're going through the most, um, I mean, I don't know, the weirdest time in human history, the strangest time, potentially the catalyzing, most catalyzing time in history. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the criticism that I get for the work that I do is, well, can't we access these through meditation, through yoga, through these deep yeah. reflective states. And there's the the Terence McKenna quote, you can spend 20 years sweeping the monastery floor or take one hit of DMT. And I think that that is the power of these is they collapse the timeline of healing. They support us in you know, fast forwarding through the the years that we spend just sitting in quiet reflection and take us to that experience of God. And that gives us a lot more responsibility coming back to that yeah. of integrating, of calling that forth into our reality and taking the small consistent steps. And that's a lot of the work that I do is supporting people and coaching them through the integration of this deep metaphysical wisdom into their lives. I mean, well put, well put. And, and anyone that actually says that, has never had this experience. The funny, you know, because you you come out of like, for example, when I came out of that that week retreat um, with the ayahuasca ceremonies, I I was I was literally in the hands of the father, like not not theoretically, not even visually, full blown somatically. I'm in an involuntary um, uh, repentance on my knees, crying like it's just coming out of me, praying into to God, the father, like, like it could only be, it could only be that it's just pouring out of me. Right. And so I, I went to Tulum to integrate. I met up with a friend and she brought one of her yogi friends. I'm telling them about my experience. I'm glowing. Like I'm radiating. Right. And so, so she asked me, she's like, well, you know, this is incredible, but don't, do you really feel that you needed that to have that experience and i just turned to her and i'm like 100 percent like it's not even it's not even comparable or even a question um again is that for everyone maybe not but that was for me and i know that i not only did i need that um yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. There's like, I have a whole rant I could go on. I don't want to go on a whole rant about it, but that, yeah, it's a yes. And I, I emphasize when we feel called to them, when that is speaking to us from this intuitive pull, from this awareness, and many people aren't at that place where they're feeling that call and pure respect to that. I honor that. 
And for those that are, the invitation is to begin exploring what that could look like and doing first the deep inner work of healing yes. your the, the addictive tendencies, the addictive patterns that come back to their trauma so that they're in a space where the wisdom of the medicine can take root. I had the the gift of facilitating a psilocybin ceremony recently for for a friend of mine and the she is she was essentially channeling the spirit of the mushroom and telling me in my facilitation work, you know, it is you are the gatekeeper. It is your responsibility to only let in the people who the mushrooms will live inside because otherwise we die. We die if you you are on not selective in who you guide through ceremony, yeah. which is why I have my microdose immersion because it takes people through the process of using small amounts of psilocybin to begin healing the the inner child between building relationship with the ego, with the inner critic and with the shadow so that these parts can come up. And when we encounter them, we can see them as differentiated aspects of the self. Yeah, it's so important. It's so important. I would love to to hear about what your present edge is in life, in your journey, in the work that you're doing and where you find yourself on that edge. It could be an aspect of where fear is showing up or where resistance is showing up in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think for me right now, it's it's a process of reestablishing structure in my daily life because I'm now in a different country. I'm on a literally an opposite time zone that I was at and on an opposite time zone of the world. So it's really about reestablishing um, that integrative structure with my work. Um, I have multiple projects. I have a, there's a couple books that I want to work on. I'm choosing which one to get into next. Of course, you know, my podcast, like coaching, like there's a lot of pieces just in that dimension that I'm having to re, uh, reapproach. Like these things don't have like momentum behind them right now. It's like almost like I'm having to like learn how to, because I had to put a lot to the side to go through a number of months of what it took to get here, you know, selling all my mm-hmm. stuff, my car, house, all the material stuff. I'm with my my partner. So we're in it together for months on end, no, no stopping together pretty much all the time. Uh, a lot of birthday parties, a lot of journeys, just full on living, like, you know, just full on life every day to getting here. And every day here for the last month has been pretty full on. So it, it's finding that that balance between being so fully present to the present moment of, of life itself and also um planning planning out my day and reestablishing a structure like a solid structure for my my waking and sleeping cycles and having to get myself fully in tune with that and so there's resistance that comes up it's not so much fear it's just like things that don't feel like the timing is right or that i have the energy for it i'm having to relearn how to 
how to focus on some things, even though maybe I don't feel like it. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I'm having to like, okay, you need to sit in front of the computer. You need to write these emails out. You need to actually learn how to fully be an entrepreneur again, while also getting your, your daily fitness program, like your weight training three times a week and your yoga practice two times a week. And then it's like, and then it's like time with my partner. And, and so it's literally like just creating these structured blocks of time throughout the day so that everything has a has a structure organization, but also being so fully present to the spontaneity and the synchronicity of life. Um, I think that's kind of like where I'm being called to grow right now. What what you're describing feels to me like the balance of those two forces, as Paul Check describes them, the the yin and the yang of you've been in this deep space of flow of finding yourself in this new space across the world and then adding those young components of structure of organization of implementation yeah. back into your life to to focus your energy on the project yes yes yeah and within that i'm curious what is your process for finding joy for creating that that blissful state well, well that's it that's actually it in a nutshell it's 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 finding the joy and the passion in my work all over again because it's also it's you know you got to understand too like it's been a long journey that i've been doing this work so it's almost like i'm having to return back to the original intent the original innocence of my why and my passion and why I started this. I had no money. I was broke. I was just like going for it. Just, you know, giving lectures at potlucks and talking about raw food and, and all these different things. I was broke. I didn't have any business strategy. I didn't know anything about business. There was no marketing thing going on. I didn't get into that until maybe six or seven years into the journey. I was on a shoestring budget touring on speaking tours around around you know the country for a couple years just selling books and like superfoods and herbs and stuff you know i didn't get into like like you know any legitimate like sales page and funnel and courses until you know years later so it, it's returning back to that like what was it what was it that i was just constantly in this mode in this passionate mode and I didn't have money. And now that I know how to create that, it's like fusing those together where I can I can build what I want to build entrepreneurially and have the impact that I want to have long term, but not lose the fire and the passion. Because at some point I kind of did. I, I lost the fire and I lost the passion and I kind of just got bored. Which, which makes sense. It's natural. So now I'm returning back to the original intent of why I started this and going back to the beginning and, uh, and find, finding that joy all over again. What you're describing is the essence of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, coming that spiral, yeah. coming back after the apotheosis, the return home of finding yourself where you were at the start as a new human being yeah yeah that's exactly this has been such an awesome conversation i've learned so much from you 
where would you like to direct people? How can people work with you? Um, your books, where can people find those to dig deeper into Ronnie Lance? Yeah, great. Um, I'm going to have a completely rebranded website. It won't happen for a number of months. So right now the website is hhphealth.com. Um, there, you could find everything on there. Just keep in mind, you know, it's, it's, it's not being updated, but it has a ton of <clears throat> information, courses, um, programs. Uh, you can find out how to contact me, um, through there, or you can go on Instagram. If you want to follow me on social media, Facebook as well, but more, more kind of on just Instagram. And I'm going to be doing a lot more. Part of my push right now is to actually start doing, a lot more content on Instagram. I've just been kind of like building, building up the the energy for it. There's going to be a lot more videos and just kind of the, the whole social media thing. Um, and then I have a podcast, the uh, Life Mastery Podcast. You can just look that up on Spotify or uh, iTunes. And if you're interested in the Addiction Free Lifestyle book, you can go to theaddictionfreelifestyle.com. Beautiful. If you could give one tool or tactic for people who are looking to deal with the addictions that they're bringing awareness to in their lives, what would that thing be? There's a great phrase, which is one thing leads to another. One thing leads to another. <clears throat> so Whenever we're trying to make changes in our life, we're, we're trying to heal from a, a physical disease or condition, uh, some sort of mental block or some kind of circumstance in our life. Just remember that one thing leads to another. One positive action will beget another positive action. One negative action will beget another negative action. So it's all about momentum. Ultimately, this is a game of momentum. Mm -hmm. If you're experiencing a, a negative momentum force in your life, then that's just because that's where the energy, the dominoes have been tipping. So if you notice that happening, what you need to do is step out of it, come back to center, take a deep breath and choose your attitude. You know, in um, Man's Search for Meaning, one of the great, great classic books, um, Viktor Frankl, one of the great quotes that comes out of that is the last of the great human freedoms is the ability to control one's attitude. So no matter what the circumstance is, you have the ability to control your attitude. So if you start to redirect that, that energy and start to put it towards something positive, start doing push-ups, start doing jumping jacks, start shaking, start going for a walk, call somebody you love, drink a green juice, start getting hydrated, workout, whatever it is. It's not about what it is. It's about the energy that you need to redirect to get back into a positive momentum force because a positive momentum force is infinitely more powerful than a negative one. But you, it does take the upfront energy to redirect the steering wheel. It's going to take some upfront mm -hmm. energy to redirect it. But once you do, then you get into that flow state and you just keep pushing on it. Okay, what's the next thing I can do? The next thing I can do, the next thing. And then life starts to open up. It starts to become more magical, more synchronistic. You feel more uplifted. You naturally just want to feel good. So you start doing things that make you feel good and then sky's the limit. 
I love that. Yeah. Playing the infinite game. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time, brother. I've really loved this and I'm sending you so much love in your thank evening. Thank you, brother. And you have the best day ever. Thank you.